Hello, welcome to BioBased Radio, a podcast promoting a more sustainable future through conversations with industry, university, and environmentalists. Everybody and welcome to Biobased Radio, a program of the Consortium for Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Education, or what we call Cable. Today we are showcasing five of our Cable student delegates and a portion of the work they've been doing as part of this program during the last year. Cable is made up of 20-some universities from all across the United States and is a leadership development program for students interested in the bioeconomy. So before we get started, let's just introduce some of these, let's just introduce these students that we've got with us. And um, Kyle, let's start with you, student from the University of Missouri. Kyle, introduce yourself, please. Hello, I'm Kyle Lang. I'm from the University of Missouri. Um, I am a senior in biochemical and chemical engineering, planning to graduate in December 2020. Helena, introduce yourself, please. My name is Helena Kregel, and I'm currently a senior in chemical and biological engineering at Colorado State University, and I am actually graduating in about two weeks. (laughs) Congratulations. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Danielle? Hello. I'm Danielle Pascoli. I am currently a graduate student at the University of Washington in Seattle, where I work on a research project related to production of biofuels and bioproducts from different feedstocks. Now, Kyle is from Missouri, and Helena is from Colorado, but you're not from Washington. No, (laughs) I'm from Brazil, Sao Paulo, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's go then to Arna. Arna, introduce yourself and tell where you're from, where you're at now and where you're from. Mm-hmm. Hi guys. Uh, I'm Arna. I'm from India. Uh, I'm pursuing my PhD right now uh, in, in, from Iowa State University. I'm in the me- uh, Department of Mechanical Engineering and my work uh, revolves around the techno-economic analysis and the life cycle analysis of pyrolysis-based systems uh, and aerobic digestion-based systems. So, yeah, pretty much dealing with renewable bioreneables. Very good. Thank you, Arna. Joseph, mm-hmm. tell, introduce yourself and where you're from. Hello, my name is Joseph Tafari. I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. I'm a senior studying environmental science at Alabama University. Thank you very much, Joseph. Okay, so uh, what we wanted to talk about today is the the role the advanced bioeconomy is playing on the the modern food industry. What are some of the the kind of um, aspects of the bioeconomy, some of these leading technologies and how they're having impacts? And, and Kyle, maybe if you wouldn't mind to get us started by sort of painting a bigger picture of, from your perspective, where the bioeconomy is, you know, touching the food industry and some of its impacts. Sure. So originally, we, the prompt for our project that we're doing for Cable 
um, was Cheap Oil No More, where we were going to compare um, bio-based chemicals to alternatives that were already produced in petroleum refining industries. Um, now, let me interrupt you right off and say that um, I think the idea of Cheap Oil No More was a bad, really bad idea. Because <laughs> oil prices right now, I mean, it's obviously cheap now. So, so it's a really good thing that your group decided to go in a very different direction. So let me just put that out there right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all, me and my uh, friends are all planning road trips for the summer because of it. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, when we, first, when we first met to discuss the prompt, um, it was Joseph that brought up the intersection of um, bio-based and biotechnologies and the food industry. And um, I know I wasn't the only one that was kind of floored and confused. Um, all of us were like, what? Is that, is that possible? Um, but when we looked into it, um, right off the bat, we were interested in the food industry because worldwide it takes up an unbelievable amount of landmass to start off with, a huge amount of um, resources, energy, um, chemicals, and, contri and contributes a lot to um, greenhouse gas emissions and also uh, habitat loss. So we knew we were in a, a good realm to start off from. And then we started digging into how biotechnology has affected the agricultural and food sector. And um, some of the common things that you might have learned in engineering school along the way or in your physical science class is that um, biotechnology has made for higher yields, um, better crop production, better um, methods in order to be more sustainable with our fields and soil. But when we dug into how it affected the food industry and the chemicals that we're using there, um, specifically the ingredients that we're getting from our farms, um, we were shocked that there was a big impact because um, we figured food is food. It's, it's natural. Um, that's the only way that our body really um, is able to deal with food. And then digging into it, we realized, holy cow, there's a lot of ingredients, especially in processed food, that come from petroleum, um, which also means there's a lot of space for, to replace those with bio-based ingredients. Um, so some of the things that, were, that for example, were petroleum-based, we could have guessed like preservatives. That's not really hard. But when it comes to something like dyes or flavoring agents, we were like a lot more surprised. Um, I'll leave that the specifics to everybody behind me, but um, it was really shocking. And um, in order to evaluate whether or not these would be successful in the marketplace in our report, we kind of use this um, three-pronged approach to sustainability that everybody knows. That's people, profit, and planet. So for each one of these ingredients that um, my peers are going to go through, uh, we evaluated, is this healthier for people? Is this healthier for the planet? And is this better for business in the long term? Um, to adopt these technologies. And I, I'm not the only one to say that we're pretty excited about the final, the final product that we um, presented at NREL. Yeah, we did a wonderful job and I'm glad that we can share it with our BioBase Radio listeners. Danielle, I think he queued you up on one of the, the biggest flavoring and aroma agents that I think everyone thinks of as being a natural ingredient, but lo and behold, by and large, it's not. And what are we talking about? Yeah, Denny. So I will talk about vanillin, which there's a lot of people that 
me personally didn't know really the difference between vanillin and vanilla because vanilla is this mixture of compounds that comes from the vanilla beans and it's it has a really rich flavor because of this different compound but um vanillin is just the main molecule present in this mixture and that's something that it was really interesting um to me to find out because when we go to the grocery stores, we see all these pictures of the vanilla beans. When we see um, products with vanilla flavor or scent, we always think that comes from the vanilla beans, but that's not always true. And that was really um, interesting. I'll talk a little bit about this. Um, so I would like to, oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, it makes you like wonder what else, you know, uh, is petroleum based that we actually like don't think about that's super common. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you just start talking about why we don't see actually that much of the natural vanilla extract out there. Um, it was interesting to learn more about the process that it's made and it's so labor intensive that it ends up being very expensive. And because of that, the van uh, natural vanilla extract actually coming from vanilla beans only represents less than one percent of the global supply and as a consequence of this high price the companies had to come up with a cheaper alternative which is just producing that single molecule vanillin because that's the one that gives that characteristic flavor and aroma to vanilla and there are different ways that these companies could make vanillin that single molecule and as Kyle said, we were really surprised to find out that more than 85% of the global supply of vanillin actually is made from petroleum. So most of the products that we see out there in the market with the vanilla flavor scent probably comes from petroleum, not from the actual vanilla beans that it's in the picture. And just like any other petroleum-based product, this type of vanillin is much cheaper and it can cost about like 10 times less than the natural vanilla extract. However, that's not the only two options. And I was really um, happy to find out that there is bio-based vanillin that comes from Biomax. And this type of vanillin represents about 15% of the global supply. And usually the fractionation and conversion of biomass is very energy intensive and requires many steps. It's not that easy to do. And because of that, the price of bio-based vanillin is somewhat in the middle between the cheap oil-based version and the very expensive natural vanilla. And I will just give a little bit of an introduction on how we can make this um, bio-based vanillin. It was actually started in the 1930s and they were producing vanillin from wood lignin. Lignin is a component of wood that is removed during the production of pulp and paper. So this undesired fraction of, um, of wood from the pulp and paper industry was directed to other mills for the vanillin production. So it's a really, um, it's an old um, technology that we are actually returning to do it right now. And what happened in the middle is the the appearance of the petroleum-based vanillin. That's so frustrating because it just makes so much sense. Use your waste somewhere else. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we were doing it in the 30s. And now mm -hmm. here we are in the 2020s and still only 15%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I feel like in the, and during that time, like 1990s, it was all about the cheapest option ever. And that was always petroleum. So they just decided to forget about everything they learned <laughs> and just yeah. use the cheaper version. And what happened is during the 1990s, petroleum-based vanillin took over the market, of course. And consequently, those plants that used to make lignin to vanillin, they closed because they couldn't compete economically with the cheaper petroleum-based version. And what's important here is that most of these plants, they couldn't survive in their market because they were relying on only that single product, which is vanillin. They didn't have anything else to um, offer in the market. So most of them closed. But nowadays, there's still one company in the entire world that is still making vanillin from lignin in a commercial scale. And that is Beauregard in Norway. And their key to success, why are they um, surviving in the market right now, even though we have a cheaper option, is that they have a high raw material utilization. So they make different products from the different components of the raw material. For example, they're currently producing not only vanillin, but also ethanol, cellulose fibers, and other lignin products from wood. And by doing this, they don't rely anymore on a single product. So they can be in different markets at the same time. And this is especially important when you have a biomass raw material. And we'll explain this a little bit more um, in the few minutes about the concept of biorefinery. And just to wrap up, I just want to discuss about this dilemma, actually, between the bio-based and petroleum-based products, as Kyle was saying, um, because vanillin is just an example because there are many other molecules and products that can be made either from petroleum or biomass, and this competition for the same market will always exist. And in one side, we have the petroleum, which is usually cheaper, but it's non-renewable. Sometimes it has a lower quality, especially if we're talking about food industry. And then on the other side, we have bio-based version that is renewable, more sustainable, but it will still be more expensive. So this competition will exist, and I feel like it's really up to the consumer to put these factors in a balance and choose which option they want to choose, what's best for them. I, I really think vanillin is the perfect place to start for this report, um, because as I mentioned, we're, we were um, evaluating these through people, profit, and planet, and eat, in each one of these products, we're going to have like different um areas of i guess best influence um vanillin for example is one of the good examples of where we're going to have to con compete with a petroleum product that's a lot cheaper cheaper but um one of the things that we've found when we we're doing like consumer mart or consumer consumer and market research is that the demands of consumers have really changed over the last decade and it's not just something for vanilla it's for all across the consumer product board and food product board etc so the demands of consumers have really shifted towards being more aware of their impacts on the environment and um, one of the main uh, talking points we had or recommendations we have for businesses operating in this area were to really drive those um, points home to, to consumers and that's something that only bio-based ingredients can do so 
this was really exciting for us, but it's something we're going to run into throughout the report. Yeah, Danielle, and I actually found you were meant you mentioned how um, the companies that you mentioned that they managed to stay successful by one using waste streams and then to also um, incorporating like a multi product biorefinery. And I think it's super interesting because that's I mean, the the molecule that I decided to focus on was uh, uh, xylitol and it's really paralleled in like the production like the methods that your companies use are paralleled in the um, companies that I chose to focus on um, in my report and I mean xylitol is just to give an overview is an is an artificial sweetener and then um, with antimicrobial properties it's mostly used in like chewing gum and stuff like that so the uh, so, for example, like the company that I chose to hone in on um, was DuPont Danisco, who make uh, their version of xylitol Jivia, and they actually published a life cycle analysis of their two different production processes that they use to produce xylitol. So the first one is um, just like the BHP, it's the biomass hydrolysis process, and it's the industry standard. So um, this is how xylitol is typically made. It's like not really eco-friendly at all. It's super high, it has super high energy intensive steps and requires a lot of purification. But then they also talked about their DuPont wood-based integration concept, which is actually unique to DuPont. They're the only ones that do this. And they use an extraction method um, based on using pulp and paper side streams as a feedstock as well. So being able to use that as a feedstock, they kind of skip over some of those energy intensive steps. They're, the molecule that they need uh, is already, they have it in the form that they need in order to complete um, the last few steps and are able to skip the first couple of steps um, that are energy intensive. And then, so they essentially just extract that compound from the stream um, and then are able to return the stream back to the pulp and paper plant. And that stream still has a high like uh, carbohydrate and energy content, which means that it can be uh, used for energy production actually for the pulp and paper plant. And overall, they actually found that it was 84 to 99% less impactful uh, to the environment than the like industry standard. Wow. But yeah, I just thought that was super interesting that you know, that the companies are utilizing kind of the same methods to uh, be successful in their bio-based production of foods. I'm gonna go ahead and call on Arna now. And Arna, you also studied a, a an artificial sweetener. And uh -huh. um, so you wanna share a little bit about the production route to the, the one that you studied? Yeah, so uh, so yeah, it was very interesting, first of all, to hear from Daniel and uh, Helena that they were discussing. And I think there are a lot of uh, research uh, field that is open because uh, since there is only one company only I heard uh, in Norway that is working on uh, vanillin, I think there is a scope of uh, co-generation and we can actually do a techno-economic analysis to see how the product can be uh, be made viable commercially more uh, so and on the other hand yeah i mean sweetener has a has its own consumer since there is a worldwide uh, patients uh, diabetic patients so uh, 
Now, natural sweeteners have, uh, I mean, people are shifting to natural sweeteners uh, because they're, because, I mean, daily consumption of the artificial sweeteners are leading to problems uh, uh, regarding consuming naturally nutritive food. So people are lacking nutrition. So uh, my natural sweetener for today is uh, the stevia-based sweeteners and uh, the leaves of this plant, they contain the glycoside molecule. Uh, which are the sweet molecules. Now, uh, other than retaining the nutritional values, it reduces the risks of heart attack for diabetic patients. And in terms of sustainability also, uh, that is uh, the good impacts on environment, it reduces the carbon footprints, the water footprints, when we are comparing it with how we are producing uh, the normal sweetening thing that is the cane sugar. Uh, the global market also looks uh, really promising. The growth rate is around 6% uh, when being projected up till 2020 when we are using stevia uh, as our natural sweetener. Uh, we went, we were, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, dig into the commercial way of how it is being produced, uh, the natural sweetener. So we interviewed uh, Ameris, which is one of the leading companies to produce stevia based sweeteners. Uh, and we came to know that they produce this glycoside molecule, uh, which, which they call REBM. They uh, also commercially produce it as pure cane. They basically ferment it. They ferment the naturally occurring sugar cane, which they uh, take from Brazil, by the way, uh, Daniel. And uh, they mix it uh, with their specially strained yeast, which they themselves produce in the market. So that, and it's specially equipped so that it can extract this uh, Reb M uh, after the fermentation. Uh, and the taste profile has been really good and there is no bitter aftertaste, which, were, which are the normal complaints of a natural sweetener. Other than that, what is very interesting, other than we, uh, there are many economic advantages of this, uh, of the Reb M, it Amidus uses one-tenth acres of uh, the agricultural land when com being compared to other companies who are doing the same thing producing natural sweeteners so all over i would say that a with the worldwide growing concerns about the cons of uh, artificial sweeteners natural sweeteners surely have a significant role to play uh, in our future bio-based food product market yeah now that we discussed those three i kind of want to talk about the cookies we made <laughs> really really quick <laughs> uh, when we were in colorado um prior to our presentation Helena and I uh, actually made some chocolate chip cookies with trying to get all the ingredients that we're, we've talked about in the report into them. And they were a hit. Um, I think when a lot of people uh, think of putting healthy alternatives in the snacks they really like, they think of less flavorful or uh, maybe just lacking sweetness. But we took um, all the white sugar that we would have put into a normal recipe of chocolate chip cookies Replace it with xylitol. We could have done the same thing with pure cane, uh, like Arna just talked about. Um, but they were a freaking hit. Everybody loved them. Uh, um, I remember, Helena, did yeah. you the vanillin we put in there? Or vanillin? In your lab? It was, yeah, at the, yeah, in my internship. Yeah, I actually made that vanilla from actual vanilla beans. So it, it was bio-based. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's the natural stuff. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I found it amazing because, I mean, if you would have handed me that cookie and told me that it did not have, like, actual table sugar in it and it was had, was replaced with an artificial sweetener, I 
I wouldn't have guessed that, like, by any yeah. means. It tasted and, uh, like a regular chocolate chip cookie. I, I, it, was, it was delicious, yeah. <laughs> I was you actually can't go wrong with chocolate chip cookies. You never go wrong with no, chocolate absolutely not. Um, but when I was at the store today, I was buying flour to do baking myself, and I realized something crazy, that we actually might have had rosemary extract in the cookies, too. Because the flour I bought had rosemary extract in it, which is the next thing <laughs> that we're going to cover. Joseph, take us away, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we talked about all of these oil-based ingredients that we're substituting for. Well, one of those is, you know, food preservatives. And, and, and Joseph, that was right down your alley. And you led us all down this direction to begin with. So take it away, bud. Um, I think one of the things that interested me the most was when I initially came in, it seemed like all of my team members already had like a foot in the bioeconomy somehow. Um, so I feel like everybody made a huge sacrifice to focus on food. And, you know, I was rushing for a topic, trying to find something, came across rosemary extract. And I think it was amazing because, um, you know, rosemary is a herb, but they are extracting it to actually preserve food. Um, and a huge concern that I've been noticing lately is um, food scarcity or just the concern of, you know, overpopulation and keeping food in stock for people. So um, rosemary extract is important because a lot of food contains lipids in them. And when exposed to light or air or other kind of factors, it causes uh, rancidity. It takes away the nutritional value and it just makes uh, the product less marketable. So when you add that rosemary shack in there, it um, creates those, um, excuse me, creates those lipids from being oxidized. Um, prolongs the shelf life, keeps it healthier, and it actually has some uh, preservative effects but it's not as strong as other herbs are, have been found to be when it comes to fighting off microbes, but with antioxidants, it's pretty great. Um, and also it's used in a variety of applications uh, when it comes to like um, feeding animals. Uh, there's been studies where uh, lamb, they're fed feed with rosemary shag and it actually have uh, produced better quality meat and they fought off the oxidation longer after the harvest. Um, you know, and it's used for a range from drinks to cereals, baking, a wide variety of applications, I believe that caused it to be more interesting, but as well, it's used in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, being in this program has caused me to see how much we do rely on crude oil, even in the pharmaceutical industry. So I believe it's very important for us to look at the other things that we do have to, you know, possibly replace, you know, that heavy reliance on crude oil to produce, um, you know, medicines and, you know, just containers. Uh, but they've used rosemary extract in studies uh, related to brain function and retaining memory has also been used um in symbiosis with chemotherapy to ward off tumors and it's actually shown that it's actually helped the produce better results with rosemary extract and i think uh what's interesting about this is me being an environmental science major i'm really interested in 
I guess, how our food impacts the environment, what we can do to, you know, just create better processes. Um, so certain industry leaders, I believe to be leaders like CalSEC, they have a whole control of their process to where when it's uh, cultivating the feedstock, it's organically certified in their Oklahoma and Texas um, sites and also in their operations in Kalamazoo, I believe, Illinois. Um, and they're also a member of the Sustainable Agriculture Initiative. And so a lot of other heavy hitters and uh, light hitters as well in the food industry. And, you know, they go through certain standards established by this industry to, you know, make sure that their production of this product is actually, you know, more economically and or environmentally, mainly, mainly environmentally friendly compared to other industry competitors. But um, yeah, so rosemary extract has actually opened my eyes up a lot more to the bioeconomy, showing how the application of chemistry um, can actually, you know, make things more efficient and economic. And the other technical processes I'm still learning about, but it caused me to, you know, feel more inclusive in these conversations just by studying that, you know, I have a little better idea of what you guys are talking about. What am I right in saying that, uh, generally speaking, all of these products that we've talked about, vanillin or bio-based vanillin, your sweeteners and rosemary extract, are seeing positive growth trends in terms of increased popularity among uh, consumers? Anyone want to comment on that? Rosemary extract has been in the market since like the 80s. It's been one of the extracts has been, I guess, like a pilot or a leader and, you know, proving that plants can be used to produce more efficient extracts. But um, I've noticed it in a lot more products and because of the green movement, a lot more people are uh, rushing, to, you know, not rushing, but, you know, putting effort to include these kind of products on their label to appeal to the customer. Yeah, and I want to comment on this as well, Vinny. Um, the only thing that I feel is harder for vanillin is that it's the same molecule, same name, and that can be produced in different ways. So you, you really don't know what you're consuming because you only see that name or you see that picture, and it's hard to track down where it's coming from. It's different than if you see xylitol or stevia, you know where it's coming from, or rosemary extract, you know it's coming from a natural source, but vanillin, it's really hard to know. And the labels, I've, I try to track down all the, the names that it can use in labels for vanillin, and there are many of them. So it can be really confusing for the consumer to know what they're actually getting. But, but you talked about the, the differences in quality between bio-based and, and petroleum-based vanillin you know, because you do bring in some of those other compounds when, when you're pulling it out from a bio-based route. Yes. So, and there are some benefits to above and beyond the, the, I mean, we understand that there's a cost problem, but there are some benefits to bio-based vanillin. 
for sure. Yeah, especially for using food industry because the taste profile, it's not as great as the natural vanilla. Of course, it's not the same, but it is higher than the petroleum based, especially because there are other compounds there in the mixture, which makes the flavor better. Didn't you say it was just like, like a more diverse family of phenolic compounds? Exactly. Was, okay. Yes, because lignin, that component for mood, it is just a really big um, structure of different phenolic compounds. So you can get many different molecules at the end of your product. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, I think the main uh, thing that we are facing right now is the economic part because people are very slowly but very steadily, they are becoming aware of uh, how natural food can actually play a big role uh, for their health. Uh, also, uh, and I I read an article which tells that when somebody is consuming the artificial sweetener, especially what happens uh, with the diabetic patients, they are have they are consuming the zero calorie artificial sweeteners daily. But what is happening is although it is bringing down their uh, their uh, this the diabetic problem for the for that particular time being. But the thing is that they are not uh, being able to have uh, food which are naturally sweet, even not uh, the fruits, the vegetables, all these things are becoming unpalatable for them. So, so people are uh, basically realizing that they need to have something which is coming from a natural uh, source, which will retain the, uh, the health and nutrition issues. So yeah, the only thing that we are missing out is the economic thing, which which has a huge scope of research, I think. Okay, well, um, I'm gonna go ahead and, and pull this conversation to a conclusion. I Just to, to acknowledge that this was one of four working groups this year that, that examined an issue in the bioeconomy you know, some looked at green transportation, some looked at policy, some looked at biomass availability and sources of biomass, et cetera. But this group studied the food ingredients and uh, the role the advanced bioeconomy would play in that. And uh, guys, you did a phenomenal job. And I, I just wanna thank you again for uh, what you've done. It's, it's, it's nice to see how each of you were able to contribute in areas that related to your own areas of study and interest and pull that all together into a, a valuable report that we can now share with others and really help people to see how you don't necessarily have to be tied to the petroleum industry to enjoy a, a, an abundant and um, you know, valuable bio-based uh, food industry. So. Guys, thank you so much. Um, uh, good luck, uh, Helena, with graduation coming up. We've got a couple more. Uh, Joseph, when are you graduating? What year are you now? Soon for December. December. All right. Mm. All right. And uh, Kyle's got him a, a, a neat internship lined up this summer. And uh, Danielle and Arna will be continuing their PhDs. But Stay tuned, everybody listening to this radio. These young people are going to be making a difference for a long time to come in the future. Very proud of them. Thank right. you. Go Cable. Okay. Go BioBase Radio. Thanks so much, guys.
Bio-Based Radio is a production of the Bioproducts Innovation Center at The Ohio State University, produced in association with the United States Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture. Bio-Based Radio is hosted by Denny Hall and produced and edited by Casey Needham and Brad Collins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, plant a seed with a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts.